Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our series on the book of Ephesians. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody here in the house, as well as those of you online. We're glad you're here. We are excited. We're starting a new series uh, from the book of Ephesus. So I want to encourage you in your own personal Bible reading uh, during this series, I just want to encourage you to, to read it. And, 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 you know, it's only six chapters, but uh, I would encourage you to, to read it over and over and find something in each paragraph just to talk to God about in your own communication, your own prayer life with God. So uh, I'm going to give you a brief overview of the book before we dig into chapter one. Uh, But I would encourage you this, if you want to get a a more detailed account, and if you're a a visual person, you can go to our website to the uh, watch and resources tab, and you can click down there and scroll down and you can find uh, something uh, from the the Bible project that will give you an overview of the entire book. But don't do it right now, okay? So, uh, as most of the New Testament books are, the book of Ephesians is really not a book. It's a letter. And this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. And and this letter gets its name from the very first verse in the very first chapter. I'll read it to you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus. The faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, The connection about Ephesus with Paul can be found in the book of Acts, chapter 19, where he went there to Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And all of his missionary journeys, of all of them, this is the one where he spent the most time in one place. He was there for two years. And this is what we read about it. The Bible tells us that he was teaching about Jesus so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, don't get confused by Asia. We're not talking about the continent of Asia. We're talking about the the province. So we're going to put a map on the screen, and I'm going to just do a a little bit of uh, uh, geography here. So um, down here in this corner is Israel. There's Jerusalem. All right, so uh, you go north, we get into Syria, we go east. This is modern-day Turkey in the uh, first century. This was called Asia Minor, and right here on the coast is Ephesus, all right? This is the Aegean Sea. This is Greece, both ancient Greece and modern Greece, and uh, for those of you who like uh, Italian food, here's Italy right over here, Okay. Uh, And uh, here's the Mediterranean Sea. So uh, it's that section of the world. And so Paul uh, came to Christ on the way to Damascus. And then he went back down to Jerusalem uh, and told people that uh, he was a follower of Jesus. And then they sent him into what was known, the known world at that time, to take the the gospel of Jesus to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And so basically in that time, in that place in the world... There were just really two groups of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles, non-Jews, all right? So um, we're going to put up a couple of pictures of ancient Ephesus. The, the first one you can see, these are just amazing ruins. The first one you're going to see is the Library of Celsus. 
and uh, just an, an amazing uh, place. Um, never been there, but the pictures are, are amazing. Then we're going to show you a theater, and then we're going to show you a, a long road paved not with asphalt, but with marble, all right? If you want marble countertops, I mean, they got marble roads in Ephesus, ancient Ephesus. Uh, ancient Ephesus is really out, is outside of the modern Turkish city of Selkuk. So uh, it's still there. You can go and visit it. You can walk where the Apostle Paul walked. Uh, so why did Paul write this letter? One uh, scholar writes that he wrote it to expand the horizons of his readers so that they might understand better the dimensions of God's eternal purpose and God's grace and come to appreciate the, the high goals that God has for his church. That's you and me, because we are the church. And so uh, the Bible Project explains it this way. The, the gospel story and how it, the, the book of Ephesians is the gospel story and how it should affect how we live every part of our life story. So as we look at chapter one today, interestingly enough, by God's uh, providence, you're going to hear a familiar refrain that if you've been here at any time over the past six weeks, you've heard. And that refrain is that we've been blessed to be a blessing. And as a result, uh, we're going to look at that. And specifically, we're going to see that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And as a result, the truth of that affects every part of our lives. And so here's the first blessing that we discover when we read the first chapter of Ephesians. We've been chosen and adopted. So let me read verses three through five. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even though he made, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So I just want you to allow the, the truth of these first blessings to seep deep into your heart and soul. I, I want you to allow that to happen because inside of all of us at some time, whether it's great or small, there's always a little bit of uncertainty about whether we matter, about whether we're valued, about whether we're good enough. And hopefully these verses put that uncertainty to rest. So, before we even get to the chosen adopted verses, I want you to focus on the first verse, the first phrase of uh, verse four. It says, even before he made the world, all right? You know, God is not bound by time like you and I are. God knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. And so before God created the world, God knew that one day, you and I would arrive here on this earth and that he created and he decided way back then that we matter to him 
and we're valued by him and that we're good enough for him. And so he loved us and he chose us. And by the way, he still loves us and he still chooses us. So, but, but hold on for a second. Since God is all-knowing and he knows the past, the present, and the future, way back then, God knew all about you and me. God knew the good and the bad and the ugly. He knew it all. He knew all of that, and he still chose us to be his children, his sons and his daughters. He chose us to be able to have a relationship with him and to walk through this life with him. He chose us knowing that you and I would be sinful. He chose us knowing that we would stray from him. He chose us knowing that we would Sometimes worship him faithfully, and sometimes we would be unfaithful and follow lesser gods, the lesser gods of this world and the culture. And because he's all-knowing, he knew that, and he still determined long before the world was created, long before you and I were born, to choose us. Determined to choose us. As the scriptures say, He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, why is that important? Because it is only through accepting Christ and his forgiveness for our sins that we can be holy and without fault before God. Now, knowing all of this about us is powerful. You know, I was thinking during our worship today, and the worship team, you guys Uh, I think uh, just chose uh, amazing songs for this because, you know, if if you're ever struggling to know you're valued or worthwhile, I want to encourage you to go to our website and you can uh, download that playlist. And you know what? I would encourage you. I, I, I never tell people to buy music, but if you need encouragement, buy that music, put it on your, uh, your phone And listen to it as often as you need to and worship God with it because he loves you and he chose you. And and now we're going to talk about this is that not only did he love us and choose us, but he has adopted us. He decided in advance, even though he knew we were enemies, even though that he knew that we were not, not part of his family, he chose to adopt us. Now, the the, the significant emotional impact of being adopted, I think, can be challenging for those of us who have never experienced earthly adoption, whether we have uh, adopted a child or whether we ourselves have been adopted. So I thought it might be helpful to hear from someone who has witnessed countless adoptions. His name's David Anderson, and he's an adoption attorney, and he's witnessed literally hundreds of adoptions. And he writes about not just the everyday adoptions, but he says, you know, I'm so impressed and so in awe of those parents who adopt children who they know come with some unique needs, some, some special needs, some, some things that will make challenge, make their life challenging for the rest of their lives. He, he talked about a little girl named Sally, 
She had gone through two heart surgeries, and, and I talked with her parents, one of whom was almost always, he said, at Sally's crib side. They had learned that they had, when they adopted Sally as a newborn, they, they learned that she had significant medical risks, and yet they still adopted her, and they loved her. They were in her hospital room every day talking to her, bathing her, and holding her then and for years to come even though she would experience more difficulties and disabilities in her life. He wrote, I, I talked to, to another couple who adopted three special needs children from another country. One, one girl had polio in one leg and, and never walked until she was fitted with a brace. Another girl had surgery for a cleft palate, and their younger brother needs blood transfusions every three weeks. He said, you know, all of these moms and dads did not have to love and adopt the children that they chose. They weren't compelled to shoulder that extra burden that they came with. And he said, you know, I, I would have understood if they said no, but they, they didn't. And, and then he, he concludes, because as a Christ follower, he says, you know, we may not want to admit it, but each of us comes to God with some special needs. You know, uh, he said, we all have some significant issues or, or disabilities in the eyes of the world. But, you know, God has chosen us. You know, the world may not see it that way, but, but God sees it and he loves us and he chooses us. How can it be, he writes, that God is there always waiting, always loving, even when we are unlovable because of our sinfulness? And there's the truth. The truth that God knows everything about us and he still loves us and he still chose us and he still adopted us. What a spiritual blessing we're given. And the apostle Paul writes that, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he points out that we've been blessed by being redeemed and forgiven. Let me go back and read the scriptures again, starting in verse six. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Paul writes that our God who is rich in grace and kindness poured out that grace upon us and showered us with his kindness, with his wisdom, with his understanding by purchasing us for our freedom. In other words, redeeming us and forgiving us of our sins. So in verse seven, it says, God purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So, you know, think this through. When God purchased our freedom, that means he redeemed us from what held us in captivity. And what holds us in captivity is not a human master, but a spiritual master. It's sin. Now, Paul you need to understand, Paul had been raised as a devout Israelite, a devout Jewish person, and he participated annually in the Jewish celebration of the Passover. And if you know about the Passover, if you've read about it in the book of Exodus, you know that that is the celebration that reminds every Jewish person about how God delivered them from slavery to the Egyptians how they had been held in captivity year after year, decade after decade. 
And God delivered them. And how did he deliver them? Well, God sent Moses, who was the voice for God, to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he told him that if he did not let the people go, that they would send a plague. And it was plague after plague until the final plague was the plague of the firstborn. In other words, God was going to send the angel of death through all the land and kill the firstborn of every human and every animal. But God said to the Israelites, listen, I want you to sacrifice the lamb and I want you to collect the blood and I want you to paint over your doorframe, over your threshold with the blood. So when the angel of death comes through the land, instead of stopping at your house, the angel will see the blood and pass over. So Paul was raised understanding about the Passover and understanding how through the sacrifice of a lamb, Israel was redeemed because that was the final plague that told Pharaoh, made Pharaoh change his mind and release the captives. And yes, he came after them again, but he didn't capture them. And so Paul has that image in his mind about how Israel had been redeemed, bought out of slavery through this miraculous act of God. And he's saying that God has redeemed us, that he's bought us back from the slavery of sin. How? Through the death of the Lamb of God who was slain to purchase our freedom from sin and to provide us for, with forgiveness. Think about that. You know, our, our debt to sin is impossible for us to pay. We owe a debt to God. And, and in the ancient world, that was important. You know, if you sinned against somebody, you, you owed them a debt. It might not be a financial debt, but it, you owed them something to make restitution for the sin you had committed. And so they understood this. And so because of our sinfulness, we owe a debt to God. And God sent a redeemer, one who buys us back for our sin. And through his death, on the cross, through the shedding of his blood, he paid the final price to redeem us, to buy us back, and to purchase our forgiveness and our freedom. You know, redemption is powerful. And uh, if you watched the Super Bowl last Sunday, you may have seen a modern tale of redemption and you didn't even know it because the commercial was, was quite subtle unless you knew the backstory. The backstory is about a, a young man named Dennis Collins. Uh, Dennis Collins. And, and Dennis Collins, when he was nine years old, he was at uh, Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. You know the restaurant. And uh, he was waiting in line to uh, get his food. And, uh, you know, uh, probably a little nervous, a little insecure, uh, he saw somebody across the restaurant with their uh, phone up taking pictures of him. And as he stood there, you know, he went, and the person who was videoing captured it and made a meme out of it and put it on social media. And he became known as the, the Popeye's meme boy. And, and it led to a lot of teasing, a lot of bullying, a lot of abuse. So he grew up. 
He grew up and he became an all-star lineman for his high school football team. And then he was uh, taken on by another NCAA football team. And so Popeyes learned about this and they wanted to provide some redemption for Dennis. You know, through that new program uh, that uh, the NCAA has uh, provided, uh, you know, name, image, and likeness, they are able to hire NCAA athletes to be spokespersons. So they hired Dennis to be a spokesperson now for Popeye's Kitchen. And he said, you know, it's my redemption. Uh, There was a, um, a newspaper that said this. He became a meme at age nine, and a decade later, the college football player has the last laugh. His shame has been redeemed. And that's the power of redemption. And the redemption that God has given us is much greater than name, image, and likeness deals. Uh, You know, when God sent Jesus, his redemption came to us, and that has so much eternal significance. It has the power to buy forgiveness for us Every time we confess our sins to God and say we're sorry. When God redeemed us by the sacrificial death of Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins, he forgave us. He blessed us with redemption and forgiveness. But that's not the end of the blessings in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Let's go to verse 12 and talk about being sealed and guaranteed God's purpose was that the Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would, so we would praise and glorify him. So there's two important concepts in that passage. In verse 13, Paul says that when we heard God's word about Jesus and what he did for us and believed it, we were saved by faith. So when you heard about God's grace for you in Jesus and you believed it, you were saved by faith, not by anything you ever did, but just that you believed, that you accepted what he did for you. And he goes on though, Paul does, and says that because we believed in Jesus, God identified us as his own. In other words, we're given a new identity. So let me pause there for a moment. I want you to see what scripture says because it flies in the face of the messages that our culture and that our world is sending out every day, all right? In the culture of the world, the message that's being sent out is that we need to find our identity so that we can know what we identify as based on what others say about us or based on how we feel about ourselves. But but folks, here's the problem with that. You know, people can be fans one day of you and then move on to somebody else the next day. So we can't trust what people say our identity is. And when it comes to our own feelings about discovering what our identity is, that's tenuous. Because 
Our feelings change day to day based on our mood, based on how much sleep we had, based on what's happening in our lives. We need to know and understand that the place where we get our identity is in Christ. In Christ, we understand that we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. And that is where our identity comes from. And to show how important our identity is, God gives us a sign, or as some translations say, a seal. And that seal says our identity is in Christ, and the seal is the Holy Spirit. You see, when we believe and follow Jesus God sends his Holy Spirit into our lives to be our teacher, to be our guide, to be our comforter. Now, the Holy Spirit is not pushy. You're not going to have some kind of sensation that something's making you do something that you never wanted to do because the Holy Spirit is gentle. But the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to teach us, to guide us, to comfort us. And, uh, you know, over the years there have been uh, folks that that say that, uh, you know, there is... uh, um, some kind of guarantee, some kind of sign, spiritual gift sign that you've been given the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of the promise of eternal life. And the guarantee of that promise is that we've been redeemed, that we've been bought back from slavery to sin. So that's important for us to know. Very simply, the Holy Spirit has been given to us when we believe in Jesus, and we need to start recognizing that by letting him lead us, and we'll recognize his leading because the Holy Spirit will lead you to consider doing things that look alike, a lot like what Jesus would do, right? You know, when you, when, when you get that sense that you're supposed to be kind to someone, to help someone, to, to share with them what God means to you, That's the Holy Spirit leading you, guiding you. So follow that lead. God has blessed us with an identity, and as his child, God has blessed us with the seal and guarantee of the Holy Spirit. So I think we'd all would agree that knowing that God has chosen and adopted us, that he's redeemed and forgiven us, that he's sealed and guaranteed us is a blessing. God blesses us because he loves us, but he also blesses us so that we'll share the blessing because the blessing isn't for us to keep. It's not like you're supposed to collect it and put it on display for only you to see. You're actually supposed to tell people about how God has blessed you. You see, being a Christ follower, it's not about you. It's not about being a lone ranger. It's not a solo affair Being a Christian is part of being something bigger than ourselves. We see in verses 9 and 10 of Ephesians 1 what Paul says. He says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. Let's look at what his plan is. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. God is interested in bringing everything and everyone together in unity. Why? Because when we're united in Christ, we can fulfill God's plan for the world. God blesses us because he loves us and because he wants us to recognize and use 
our blessings to bless others. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as I bring this message to a close. Um, In the final parts of the chapter, he shares a scripture. uh, uh, Basically, he tells them how he prays for them. And and I want to read that section, okay? And and, um, I just want to encourage you just to take in how Paul prayed for the church then. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have never stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You know, as I bring this message in for the closing, we've seen all the blessings that God has showered us by taking these verses and looking at them. And and I want to close this time by actually taking what Paul said he prayed over the church and turn it into a present tense prayer and pray it over you. And that's important for you as a follower of Jesus. But if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to know these blessings that I just talked about and you want to have them and experience them and have the Holy Spirit to be your teacher, your guide, and your comforter, you can have that today. And all you need to do is tell Jesus you believe in him. And so I I like to lead people in a prayer and I give them phrases and I'll be honest with you while you may notice if you're here regularly that those phrases seem pretty similar from week to week there's nothing magical about those phrases there's nothing special about them it just gives you words to put in your own words of a prayer back to Jesus about how you believe in him so I want to give you the opportunity here or online to put your trust in Jesus to believe in him today and start following him And if you do pray this prayer, let us know so we can encourage you in that decision. So I'm going to pray that prayer, inviting people to accept Christ as their Savior. And then I'm going to take the words of Paul in Ephesians 1 and pray them over all of us. So if you would bow your heads, let's pray. God, recognizing that you have blessed us and recognizing that those who have not believed in Jesus have not received that blessing. If there's anyone who wants to know that and receive it today, I invite you to tell Jesus you believe in him by praying these words back to him. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died to pay for my sins. I believe you rose again from the dead and defeated sin and death. 
And now I declare that I want to follow you all the days of my life. I repent of my sin. We say amen to that prayer. But now I want to pray this over all of us. Dear God, you are the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we thank you for all that you have done and that you are doing. And specifically, we thank you for one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, for our faith in Jesus, for our love for God's people. And Lord, we pray that you would give all of us your spirit, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation so that we would know Jesus better. And we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we may be enlightened in order that we would know the hope to which Christ has called each and every one of us so that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance for us and so that we would know his incomparably great power for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.